0: Hey, good morning, welcome back everyone. I'm Phil Brandt, President and CEO of AIM Employers Association, and welcome to This
1: Week at Work.
2: This Week at Work is the only show about the workplace that offers you front row seats and a microphone, featuring experts in human resources and employment law to bring you practical, timely, and accurate insights so you can more effectively lead your organization. It's Thursday, February 1st, episode 264, today. Get ready for a special edition of This Week at Work as we bring you the much-anticipated unveiling of the 2024 National Business Trends Survey Report. And some of the takeaways might surprise you. Rivaling War and Peace in its thoroughness, the extensive 1,234-page report is a treasure trove, spanning everything from business outlook on the economy to insights on recruiting, retention, and more. Joining Phil are two distinguished guests to help guide you through the key takeaways from this insightful survey. Fan favorites, Tanya Zion and Mikey Mack. All this and more on This Week at Work.
0: All right. Welcome back and good morning, everyone. I am happy to be here today. We have Bert Garland out somewhere in the world trying to do some lawyer stuff. Um, but uh, standing in for Bert, I want to introduce to you for the first time, Justin Allen from the Ogletree office in Indianapolis. Uh, Justin, welcome to the program. We're happy to have you. And um, I can tell you right now, I already know you're going to do a better job than Bert would do for us. He, you know, he comes in, he's half unprepared, and he just kind of wings it. So uh, thank you for being a part of the program today. Um, looking forward to that. And I also want to introduce uh, everyone, um, longtime participants in the program, Tanya Zion, our employee engagement expert, and Michael Makakovich, as you know him as Mikey Mack. Um, are a part of the program. And today we're going to talk about the WIT, right? The wage inflation trap. We talked about that last week when we did our National Business Trend Survey Review. Tanya and Michael joined for that. And we're going to focus uh, specifically today on how to avoid the WIT, the wage inflation trap. But first, Justin, you're going to get that chance to step up and push Bert to the side. You ready to give us a, an overview of lawyer on the clock?
1: I am. I mean, I don't quite have the head of hair that Bert has, but I'm I'm looking forward to stepping into his shoes. So,
0: yeah, well, you know, we're not sure Bert puts a lot of chemical in that hair mean, um, he works really hard on it. So we, we don't like to make fun of his hair too much, but um, he does put a lot of effort into it. Nick, I know you've had some fun pictures of that hair over the years uh he, we call it the flow, the the garland flow.
1: Well his flow is out in uh is out in California today, his place doing some real legal work. So uh he wasn't able to make it today. But I'm super glad to be here and excited to to share some thoughts with you all today.
0: You just check his billing hours, make sure he's billing some hours. He's not on the beach. All right. Okay, Justin, let's get started. Nick's going to pull the lever for lawyer on the clock and we look forward to hearing what you got going on. Nick, go ahead and pull that lever.
2: I'll pull the lever, but are we going to do the poll today or are we going to go through the poll because we have so much? See, this
0: is what happens when Bert isn't here. (laughs) I know I make fun of him, but man, he he does keep me on track. That is for sure. Uh, So let's go ahead and get into our poll questions. Thanks, Nick. Uh, First question is, how will the findings of the National Business Trend Survey uh, impact your organization's strategic planning for the upcoming year? Um, and if you didn't pay, if you weren't a part of the program, you can still go back and catch that. But it's an important program, I think, for all of our employers to watch. Uh, and then the second question is, what impacts employee satisfaction more? Uh, Demotivating factors or motivating factors? It's a draggable scale. Nick, what is a draggable scale? Uh, That means
2: on one side, it is the demotivating factors But you take your mouse and you drag it, or your finger if you're on your phone, you drag it to the right if you think it's more of a motivating factor. So we'll figure out where everybody falls is on that little spectrum there. I thought Tanya would really like that question.
0: I, I do. I like the draggable scale. All right, back to you, Justin. Are you ready for Lawyer on the Clock? I am, let's pull that lever. There you go, Nikki. All right, it's time to look into
2: what's trending in employment law. Lawyer, you're on the clock.
1: All right, thanks guys. So I want to briefly touch on a couple of topics today. The first is a little bit of a nod to Burt's West Coast tour. And it's one that we've been dealing with a lot in my practice area so far in 2024. And that's the pair of new California non-compete laws. Uh, And you may be wondering, hey, I thought California already banned non-competes a long time ago. What more could they possibly say or do on this subject? And apparently the answer is quite a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, non-competes have been banned and unenforceable in California for a long time. uh, But California was concerned that out-of-state employers are continuing to try to enforce non-competes for employees in the state, uh, such as where an employee moves into California with an existing non-compete and then tries to get a job in California. So the first new statute bars non-competes involving a California resident as being void and unenforceable, regardless of where the contract was signed or when it was signed. So if they signed it in Missouri and they move into California to take another job, it's unenforceable. And this All right, gives-
0: so Let me stop you there, Justin, uh, make yeah. sure I'm understanding this. So. I lived and work in any state other than California. And now yep. I don't, I exited the company. We entered into a non-compete that was completely legal and binding in the state in which I lived and worked, And now I moved to California for some reason. Um, and... At that point, that non-compete, now that I'm a resident of California, even though I never worked for that previous company while I was a resident of California,
1: is no longer binding. That's correct. That is what the law is intended to do. And as you can probably imagine, this will give rise to a whole bunch of thorny choice of law issues. Um, What we're expecting is, is that employers in the more non-compete-friendly states will end up trying to make a race to the courthouse to try to get the case started somewhere other than California. You know, a judge Mm in Texas or Indiana or South Carolina may say, well, you know, that's nice for California that they've passed this law, but, you know, we have our own set of choice of law principles, and one of the most important questions in that analysis is, where was the contract executed? Where was it to be performed? Um, And they may not view... Uh, the California law as trumping their own state choice of law principles. Now, on the other hand, you may have employees move to California and then file an action to try to beat the employer to the punch. And we have seen this. Uh, I heard about a situation uh, employee moved right before the the new year, right before the the law took effect and was in a state where uh, the non-compete would have been enforceable, moved to California and then and then filed an action uh, saying, hey, this is no longer enforceable and you can't hold me to it. So we're going to see a lot of interesting issues on that point. I think there will be uh, some interesting case law from various states. and It'll be interesting to see how they treat that California statute. And what's important here is it gives mm-hmm. rise to liability. Um, you know, it gives rise to the ability to file a civil action for injunctive relief, for damages and attorney's fees. So there is a risk of of you know trying to enforce that statute or that agreement uh, as to an employee who now lives in California. So and it did. Are, are
0: employers expected at that point to, to find these these individuals, to know if they've moved? So for an example, if I've entered into an agreement you know, six months ago and I've lost touch with this employee, I have no idea where they live. Uh, do I have a responsibility to do anything at this point?
1: Well, that's a really good question, Phil, and it'll, it'll even be more relevant to the next statute I'm going to talk about, uh, this notice statute. But, but yes, I mean, I think if it's important to keep tabs on where they're at, and if they move to California and you know that, it's going to be important to, to you know, either file a lawsuit in your own state, uh, or maybe you decide it's just not worth it at that point, and enforcement isn't the route you decide to go. Um, you know, In addition to this law as to employees moving into California, there's also a new California non-compete statute that requires the employer to give notice to their employees that any existing non-compete is void. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No longer than February 14th, so just a couple of weeks from now, the employer must give a written individualized communication to anyone employed after January 1 of 2022. So it captures potentially some former employees. Anyone who had a non-compete, you need to let them know that it's void and won't be enforced. And our California attorneys are telling us that the statute is likely broad enough to cover employee and customer non-solicitation clauses as well. So don't just assume that because you don't use strict non-competes that you're in compliance. Depending on the language of your other restrictive covenants, you may also have an obligation to give notice and may need to rescind uh, those types of clauses. What's important here is that the notice must be individualized. You you can't just have a blanket statement like, if you have a non-compete, we won't enforce it anymore. It's going to require the employer to be specific about the provision at issue. You know, paragraph five of your June 10, 2021 employment agreement is Mm -hmm. void and enforceable and not just a blanket, we're not gonna enforce anything. And obviously that's a challenge for some employers. If you have a lot of impacted employees um, or you aren't sure whether or not they have a non-compete that could be challenging to comply. Um, Our colleagues out in California have been dealing with this issue quite a bit over the last few weeks. They put together some useful resources including a template notice letter For employers to use. Um, But if you're an employer and you think this might apply to you, you have about two weeks to work on compliance. And failure to comply, according to the statute, is an act of unfair competition. So there is a risk of liability for not complying. Um, So Phil, you know, with all the legislative and FTC activity around the country on non-competes, it seems that California just couldn't help themselves and decided they wanted to join the fray as well.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's, uh, a lot of undertaking. But hopefully in today's world, we don't have too many of those going on. I do know it is a common and customary practice for many of our employers. um, But hopefully we haven't had that much uh, separation. But this could be even the case, what I'm hearing you say, is like if employees have signed these and quit on their own, it isn't necessarily all under termination, right? It's that that confidentiality non-compete element that that we signed and I resigned. I'm still bound by that in most minds. Uh, but if I'm in California now, there's a, there's a different game here. So do I need to go back and look at anyone who had signed these and separated for any reason is probably the, the right practice to have?
1: Yes. And the, the cutoff date for that is January 1 of 2022. So if okay. someone is employed during that window, they are going to be covered by the notice requirement. And we're telling employers you need to use you know, reasonable due diligence to find your former employees. Obviously, if they've gone completely off the grid, you may not be able to locate them. You're not going to be able to comply with it in that instance. But if it's something where you know their last known address or somebody in the company still knows where to find them, uh, we're telling people you need to use you, your reasonable due diligence to give them notice.
0: You know, if Bert was here, he would say, if they're in California, they are completely off the grid. I mean, only someone completely off the grid would go there. All right. Anything else, Justin, that you have for us today?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to briefly touch on uh, the Pump Act and some recent guidance from the Department of Labor with respect to the retail and restaurant industries. Uh, you know, as a quick refresher, the Pump Act uh, was passed in 2022, and the remedies, provisions of that took effect in April of last year. Uh, It requires employers, with some exceptions, to provide reasonable break time in a private space for nursing mothers to express breast milk in the workplace. Now, you know, if you're an employer in an office setting, this probably wasn't very difficult to comply with. You just convert an unused office or a closet into a suitable space. But for some employers, you know, this has been a particular challenge, either due to the physical constraints of the workplace or the nature of the business. And one industry that it's been challenged for is retail and restaurants. Um, you know, oftentimes there's not a great private space for expressing and because of the unpredictable way that customers ebb and flow throughout the day, it can be a challenge to allow an employee to step away at a moment's notice. So the DOL issued some guidance in the form of a webinar and some presentation slides um, that gives some industry specific guidance. And I would say the big takeaway is to remember that The PUMP Act does not require a permanent space. It could be a closet, it could be a manager's office. The key is ensuring that the space is suitable, it's readily available when it's needed, and you need to make sure that it's private. So surveillance cameras turned off, posted signage letting employees know that the area is off use. Um, So Phil, if I were to summarize the DOL's view on this, it's figure out a workable solution as best as you can with the resources and the space that you've got. It's gonna differ uh, from employer to employer, uh, but it may require getting creative, and you know. I also want to note that the DOL is planning to issue some more industry-specific guidance and suggestions on the Pump Act in the next few weeks, uh, including in the transportation industry and educational services sector. So, if you're an employer in an industry that has struggled with how to best implement this, stay tuned for more guidance on this.
0: Yeah. Now, this one I can see being the, I can see the complication, particularly uh, like you said, in those industries that are outside your traditional office setting. Um, I I think construction type industry, field positions where I'm out, you know, like you say, transportation, restaurants, those types of things, it becomes quite difficult to comply. So creativity will be needed. Uh, And I think, you know, that leads us into a, a perfect transition into Mikey and Tanya, just as it relates to how we organize our workforces to avoid this wage inflation uh, trap that I refer to as WIT. Um, As we think about how we're doing that and we take what Justin just said, I mean, the workforce power has shifted to the employees, right? So as employers, we're still in charge, we're still responsible, um, but we have Uh, You know, a supply and demand issue. We just, that's the basic simplicity that we covered in the um, business trends review last week is it's a simple supply and demand. And there is not enough supply of people today for the amount of demand that we have. And that's creating an unbalance that we are not familiar with managing Mikey, when I think about that unbalance and what we've seen occur over the last four years or so now with compensation, what are what are some of the things that we should be thinking about doing as we create a model within our organization to avoid this unbalance? Um, we don't want to end up someplace one day and go, holy cow, how did we end up here? Look how inflated our wages are in comparison to the market.
3: Yeah, I think ever since uh, COVID, uh, our compensation strategies have been kind of thrown away. And what most organizations have become are very reactive to what is going on with the supply and demand. And when, uh, you know, inflation was hitting us and now we have uh, other issues that we're dealing with, everyone seems to be forgetting that we used to have a very organized way of dealing with this. And that was a compensation strategy. We knew what the decisions that need to be made, what they are. Uh, We had a system in place so that we could then look at that and make decisions. Um, We were able to identify our markets properly and be able to use that to update our structures. And then all of a sudden, the last few years, it's just like, oh, forget that. We're just, well, just throw money at it. And then what happens is, especially in our hiring strategies, we kept throwing more and more money at it, and then we forgot about our internal employees. So now we have employee satisfaction going down the drain because people are upset that, oh, you're more concerned about the new employees than me. Uh, You're forgetting the idea that people want to improve and want to advance in their career. So we forget all about that because that's not in our strategy anymore. And so what's happened is that we need to kind of, I'm I'm thinking about going back to the future type of a, a, a mentality. We need to go back and kind of take a pause and say, well, wait a minute, we need to have more structure around this. We need to better define our strategy and have our system in place so that instead of being reactive, we know what decisions need to be made when certain circumstances occur and be more proactive around that. So that's what we're trying to get, especially working with your AIM members, getting them to rethink where we are and where we need to be going versus just throwing money at the problem.
0: Yeah, so you said a few things, Tanya, I'm gonna warm that up for you um, in just a minute, but give you some food for thought here, Tanya. He talked Uh about, you know, um, the the satisfaction is declining in the workplace um, is something he said that I'm gonna ask you to comment on. But Mike, when I think about,, um, like when you're saying like, go back to the future, um, we we have this new space that we're in today, in the future, mm-hmm. that compensation used to be this thing that we could we could measure in whatever methodology that we used, but our employees had a limited view, right? right. With with their, their, you know, before they could go on, now they can go online, but before they could go online, it was only a little bit of who I knew and maybe what I heard and I couldn't validate things really well. And so, you know, if I was paid what I thought was okay, I might've been more okay with the satisfier and we talk about satisfiers of Herzberg with my with my compensation. Where today with transparency uh, and everything that brings compensation to the forefront, um, I know whether or not I'm paid competitively or not. And then right. I can, what Tanya's gonna talk about, I can weigh that against you know my right. workplace environment and decide, is it worth it or not? Um, yeah, and and I have so options.
3: Famous. Yeah, this is something that I think employers have have lost track of. And part of it is a generational issue. You know, before formalities of pay transparency, as we started having millennials and Gen Zs and now Gen Alpha coming into the workplace. They have a whole different perspective in terms of transparency. They always had transparency. They are in constant contact with each other, right? Yeah. They unlike unlike boomers like me that I can't remember anybody I went to high school with. So you know that's such a long time ago. But well, they, that was uh, a
0: long time ago, Mikey.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, a long time ago. <laughs> and now,
0: and I think Justin would tell us, um, you know, that not only is it that that social aspect of it but there's right. that legal side of sure. you know you 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 can't even say today hey that's comp- that uh, compensation oh. is confidential let's not talk about it or really? you're at risk of losing your job
3: oh in fact in my earlier employers uh, back in the late 70s uh, that was considered a trade secret and confidential yeah. your pay so therefore yeah. if you talked about pay i would just say oh you were talking about it you're fired uh, we, you know, obviously that changed, but, you know, with the, the changes in transparency, of course, have led to pay equity, right? Because the more I know about this, the more I'm going to challenge, where am I being paid? Why am I being paid? And how do you know that this is competitive or not? So this also gets back into communication and how we have our managers and supervisors understanding how pay is put together in your organization, because that seems to be one of the biggest issues we are also facing is that it's still a secret. And the main reason it's a secret is that supervisors and managers are lost. They don't understand it. So we haven't done a good job in our human resources, and our leadership of being sure we bring our supervisors and managers along with us. However, in order to do that, we have to have that strategy. We have to have a system in place that we can then show our supervisors and managers, hey, there is an objective process here. It is not just somebody behind the curtain, you know, coming up with numbers. And so until we have that first step, even the communication becomes very difficult. And and I know what we
0: want to promote here at AIM for all of our members is a strategy, something that you can pull out. When I say a strategy, people go, what do you mean a compensation strategy? I'm saying like, this is our strategy. We want to pay at whatever percentile we're referring to. And I always give the example that a lot of employers say, I want to pay at 50%. I'm like, that's okay. You can do that. I want to pay up the 50th percentile, but recognize that means I want to pay average. Right. right, That means if I'm going to pay average, I got to be better than average somewhere else. So right. where is that somewhere else that we're going to be better than average in? Um, right. And and then in our strategy, it's not like, well, I want to go out and have Mikey help us figure out, are we paying competitively today? And then I bury it away and I never dust it off and look at it again and what the most effective organizations are doing in today's world, because it it is an inflationary environment and it's changing rapidly. And to avoid the emotional response to compensation, you wanna have a compensation model that says, you're gonna look at it at this time on this frequency and here's how we're gonna measure it teach our supervisors and managers that so they can explain it and make sure that we're always in the position that we want to be in and that we never find ourselves chasing the position we're trying to achieve. And once we get there, we just want to stay in that space. Then we want to focus on the things, Tanya, that you bring to the table. Um, That's really around how we engage our workforce um, to make... Uh, it more of an environment people want to be. So Tanya, Michael said a few things uh, around workplace satisfaction, and he said communication, um, and he used the engagement. When you're hearing those those words and you're looking at your survey results and you're working with our AIM members, what is it that, Where where do we start? What's the beginning process to getting into a model of, we're going to create a better work environment.
4: Yeah, so I think exactly everything we've been talking about, I like to describe it as table stakes, right? We've got to satisfy those demotivators first to say we're, we, we have that taken care of. And then just like we need data as we're doing our salary surveys, we need data about our culture and our environment. And I think one of the things that we have to start having a mind shift is away from an us-and-them mentality and into an ideology that our employees are stakeholders in the organization. Because when you talk to the younger members of the workplace, that is the way they view it. This is an exchange, goods, you know, for pay and my time and all of those things. You are going to get my talent, and there's going to be an exchange here. And what they're asking for goes beyond that financial. And that's really where I think hersberg and the things we measure in our employee engagement survey are really, really important. How supportive is my supervisor? Is there meaningfulness cultivated in the work that I do? And I mean that across all industries. Do I know that if I come in and I work on a particular machine all day, do I know where that part goes? Do I know where it ultimately impacts a customer or builds a road. And being able to bring that meaningfulness into the work is really, really important to create a culture that employees feel like they're part of something more. And what we know from the research is when we satisfy those motivators, feeling like I'm accomplishing something, feeling like I have accountability and responsibility, I can advance through my career, that's when retention happens. And so, so much of what we saw come out of that business trend survey was around recruitment and retention and pay and I am here advocating saying those are going to become less and less important if we can truly satisfy what employees are looking for we increase engagement retention is going to follow so you know me if you listen to this show I'm always about root causes and I feel like in a lot of ways we're talking about um, the reactive things that are happening because we haven't fixed what's broken underneath.
0: So, Tanya, how does an organization take the first steps to get started? So let's just paint the picture. All right. Hey, I'm working with Mikey. He's helping us build a compensation model that we're going to practice Mm -hmm. continuously. Measurement, adjustments, measurements, adjustments all the time. So we're staying in space. Now I want to get started on these motivating factors that you work on so so diligently. How do I get started in something like that? Where do I start?
4: The first thing you've got to decide is who's going to be accountable in your organization to be monitoring and measuring that, and that's your frontline supervisors. Are they empowered to talk about these things? Are they empowered to really have two-way communication? Do they have the skills to know how to do that? Are they able to meet with their teams? Are their teams and the, the entire employment base, do they have the communication skills that they need to have conversations before beyond just give and receive, right? We're actually talking and communicating, and do they have those tactics? And so what we're seeing time and time again on the surveys is employees are saying communication is suffering in our organization. Mm-hmm. And I talk to leadership, and leadership does this. What do they want? I don't know what they want. We send emails. We send text messages. You know, I joke and I'm like, no, no, send carrier pigeons to their home. But that's all in jest. Where communication happens is that frontline supervisor. Who do I go to to get information about the organization, to know what my roles are, to ask for tools and training and development if I need them? And that is where we need to be making the biggest investment, because we know that supervisor is critical to employees' stays. And what we see time and time again in these surveys is we're not investing in that level of the organization, or we don't have expectations clarified at the very top of the organization so that we can tool and empower those supervisors to do the work that we need them to do.
0: Yeah, I know. One of the things that when I'm talking with employers, I and I'll use the example is, and you you said table stakes, right? And and what I what I find is, you know, this is an all in movement on developing these first line supervisors and managers more than we've ever experienced before, because that is where the rubber does hit the road. Um, it's my boss encourages me supports me develops me or does communicates with me or doesn't it's just that simple right it's yes or no it's it, it's we're there mikey you mentioned something last week i want to come back to um so tanya's talking about my supervisor can answer and and give me this information um but you know, we grew up in a day where, you know, management would work with a consultant or their compensation team, which we don't have compensation teams much anymore, uh, to develop a pay rate, an increase, whatever it might be. And then we would execute it. But we never really communicated that down the line. And now you're finding yourself, Mike, working with first-line supervisors and explaining the compensation model so that that message can get explained down by the person who's going to be the most impactful um, in that retention effort. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're seeing there, Mike.
3: Well, I think the what we're starting to learn, and, and again, going back to where we were, is that when an employee is concerned about their compensation, let's just start with that, It's not like in the old days, we'll go talk to HR, you know, the supervisor would just take a pass, right? I'm not going to deal with that. The problem is, is that the number one person that the employee really relies on in order to have some trust that the system is working is their first line supervisor. That's the person they're going to go to and say, hey, do you get this? And is it fair? Uh, I don't understand what's going on. And so we still are finding that we have organizations where the supervisors just throw up their hands and say, I have no idea go talk to HR. Well, as soon as they do that, that's it. We've lost that opportunity. The other thing that's starting to happen, though, is because as we're looking at different strategies, especially for engagement, is the whole issue of career progression and career pathing within the system. And we're designing a lot of pay systems with that in mind. The problem is while we can do that from a from a system standpoint, it's how you implement that because career progression and career pathing requires a supervisor to work with that employee on a regular basis to help them in terms of how they will advance in that career progression, which is very positive for engagement, except it scares the heck out of these supervisors because now they have to talk to their employees on a regular basis, and they're sometimes just not prepared for that. So all of these things are coming together, and really, it really is the cornerstone of a successful Implementation of any strategy or first-line supervisor. Um,
0: Tanya, real quick, um, you look like you want to say something there, so I want to invite you in, but otherwise I had a good question for you. Go right ahead.
4: Yeah, no, I just want to say the survey results tell us the same thing. Employees tell us time and time again that they are rating well under 60% positive um, to the statement, I know how my pay is determined. So, employees don't know that information. And we know that that is a first line driver for engagement. And so, I just want to double down on what Michael's saying that this is really, really important. And again, supervisors are scared of this. What did Michael say earlier in the conversation? If you asked me all about pay, I could just fire you, right? Yeah. That was a time of pensions. That was a time where you worked for the organization and you, as the employee, didn't have to be invested in your financial future. We are in a different time now. People are responsible for their own 401ks, understanding all of that. So it's natural that employees want to understand how their pay is determined. And we need to determine as organizations who's holding that, right? And what we know right now is it's frontline supervisors, and we're simply not giving them the tools to adequately have those conversations and really feel empowered and well-tooled to do so.
0: I tell you what, I I can talk about this all day. I think exactly... Uh, uh, I'm exactly aligned with what you're both saying. And I know Justin's in the background going, hey, and don't forget, it's legally very important to allow people the, um, the space, if they choose to, to engage in these conversations about compensation under asserted, uh, concerted activity and, and other things like that. So it is a different day. Right, We know we have to have a model. We don't wanna be chasing a compensation model, and we have to be working on these motivators um, that I know Tanya is working on every single day. When you put Michael and Tanya together and you take that approach, you're gonna give yourself a better chance uh, at creating a workplace that has the retention object, or that can achieve the uh, retention objectives that you want to uh, achieve. Uh, Give it some thought. Think it over. Talk with your AIM advisor. Uh, Michael and Tanya are always here, and they're happy to chat with you as well. Justin, thank you for joining us from Indianapolis this morning. We appreciate everything you do for us um, out in Indy with our members there, and I know you'll be at our roundtable coming up shortly. We appreciate that. Uh, for the rest of you, we will see you next week. I'm going off to be a new grandfather here in a few hours, so I will give you an update on that next week at 7.30 Central Time. We'll see you then. Until then, go be good with somebody.
2: Thank you once again for tuning in to This Week at Work. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your colleagues. Forward our invites. Share the link. AIMEA.org forward slash work or follow or subscribe wherever you get your news and entertainment, LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever everywhere you are. Don't forget, you can be part of the show. Send your questions and comments anytime to info at thisweek.work. We'll see you next week, 7.30 a.m. Central Time when we discuss what's happening
3: this week at work.